Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. T.P. Chopra is the President and CEO of the Bharat Light and Power Group. He's here to speak to us today about his vision for using AI and IoT technology to help get renewable energy to 1 billion people in India in a smart, clean, efficient way. He goes on to share with us about what the advanced energy technology community needs from government, from society, and from the investment community to realize his Tesla-like energy for all vision in the world. We're here today with T.P. Chopra, who is the president and CEO of Bharat Light and Power. Welcome. Thank you. T.P., you have been in the electrical generation business for a really long time. And I think my first question must be, what excites you most about renewables, the future, wind and solar? For you, what's what's most exciting about what's happening now? What's your why? First of all, thanks a lot, Catherine, for having me on the show. What is exciting is the fact that the world of renewables is now really becoming center stage. And it's really driven by the fact, given the awareness around the world on sustainability, climate change, pollution, and the entire negative impact of all these things that are happening around the world, has sort of forced people around the world to actually stand up and take notice and see and explore new technologies that can actually make a world a better place. One of the critical areas has been the whole renewable energy space, especially given the huge impact of electricity generation on the energy sector around the world. Historically, the majority of generation has been through fossil fuels. If you look back in 2016, roughly 80% of the world's energy came from fossil fuels, of which renewables was actually barely about 10%. I think what gets me really excited is that since 2016, the world has stood up and taken notice. There's been a significant push over the last few years to shift the needle in terms of the in terms of climate change by adding more wind and solar. And I'm glad to see that there's been a dramatic increase specifically in wind and solar capacity over the last few years. Solar PV capacity in 2017 was 400 gigawatts and that has risen significantly. And wind in 2017 was about 540 gigawatts, which has also gone up significantly since then. So I think this dramatic change out of gas, out of coal and oil into more renewables. But I'd just like to quickly add that in the Indian context, what's exciting is the fact that over the last few years, we have added now the renewable energy capacity as of 2018 is, is roughly 72 gigawatts, which includes wind, solar, biomass and small hydro and the government has a really ambitious target to get to 175 gigawatts by 2022 and that's what the government is committed to do so i think what i'm excited is that there's a huge amount of capacity coming on stream there's a lot of capacity being added and i think it's going to make a big difference in terms of climate change going forward can you give us a sense of the speed and scale in a way that translates those numbers in gigawatt? Can you give us a layperson's understanding of the speed and scale? Sure. At least I can give you a perspective of the Indian market. Let me just share with you two statistics to give you a flavor of how big or small power is and how big renewable is in the context of the overall energy mix. If you look at the total final energy consumption, generally what you find around the world is that about 50% of energy is consumed by heat, 30% by transportation, 
and they're balanced roughly about 20% by power, of which about 25%, 30% is renewable energy today. I think the challenge all of us around the world is trying to make the mix of renewable energy into a far larger segment than it used to be in the past. In terms of renewable capacity itself, just to give you a flavor of how quickly things are changing around the world, in 2007, the total renewable energy power capacity was roughly about 1,000 gigawatts. In 2017, we have actually doubled that number to about 2,200 gigawatts. So that just shows that in a very short period of time of about 10 years, we've actually doubled the total global capacity of renewable energy around the world. What are some of the limiting factors? Are there still energy storage issues, transmission, fears about consistent supply, or have we really overcome those obstacles for this really incredible exponential growth? I think a couple of things are happening around the world. We're finding for the first time in the world is that it's sort of like a global initiative where you're finding the definition of energy is getting dramatically changed. For the first time, what we find is that the oil and gas companies are beginning to look at the renewable space. Renewable energy companies are beginning to look at storage. Storage companies are looking at solar. Utilities in energy are looking at the auto, the solar, auto vehicle, EV vehicle space. It's a very interesting time in the world of energy because for the first time, you have many, many segments of the world of energy converging around the definition of sustainability in the energy world. So that's a very exciting thing that's happening. And that's really creating a dramatic push in the growth of energy. In terms of the limiting factors, I think there's a lot of investments and research going in to finding the next wave of breakthrough technologies in storage, in EV, electric vehicle infrastructure, in terms of improving transmission lines, in terms of reducing losses. So I believe the limiting factors is around technology. The world has seen dramatic improvements in wind and solar, but I think it's sort of plateauing right now. And I think the first factor is the next breakthrough of energy. The next one is around storage. I believe efficient storage and transmission is going to be another big focus area for development going forward. And the third one I'd say, which is going to have a dramatic impact, is capital. But more importantly than capital is ensuring that the capital gets a fair return. Because if capital doesn't get a fair return and the economic business model doesn't exist, the entire sector won't capture or won't get the kind of investment we need to make the change happen. So I'd say a couple of the limiting factors. Uh, So while there is a global desire to do something about it, these are three or four of the factors that are going to, you know, limit the speed and pace at which we move into more renewables around the world. What I want to really ask, and what I'm really excited about, I should say, is where your position in your company, Brett Light and Power, in the electrification ecosystem, developing, owning, operating and most companies stop there but now you're digitizing wind and solar assets so you're almost three companies in one with a large utility wind solar production capacity you're distributing the solar through your ecosystem of partners then you have this tech and orion ai artificially intelligence based iot so internet of things platform can you tell us about your vision with iot and ai and your new vision for how to integrate technology into your 
your solar energy production and distribution is really helping get renewable energy to that 1 billion people in, sure. in India? One of the, I'll just take a step back and give you a little bit of a perspective as to how we ended up on this journey of IoT and AI. When you think about a couple of the macro trends in the renewable energy industry, the first point is that we have seen a dramatic decline in the cost of energy from renewables. To put it in perspective, at least in India, seven, eight years ago, the cost of energy from solar was roughly in the 26 to 30 US cents a kilowatt hour. Today in India, we're producing solar energy, anything between 3.2 to 3.5 US cents a kilowatt hour. So we've seen a dramatic decline yeah. in the cost of energy in wind and solar. And that's not only in India, but in a lot of other parts of the world as well. As a result of it, what happens is it creates an incredible amount of pressure on the entire supply chain to ensure that your machines have an extremely high machine availability to be able to generate the kind of production that you need to make this very, very low price economically sustainable. That's always a challenge given the fact that at the end of the day, these are machines. And therefore, there's a constant challenge amongst us in the industry and how do you improve machine availability and performance of turbines, especially in an industry where your revenue, your tariff per kilowatt hour is so low. And that's down this journey of seeing ways and means that we can transform energy production by actually combining hardware, which is which is wind turbines, solar farms, etc., along with new age technology to actually help improve productivity. And on the technology side, what has changed is three or four key factors. One is we have the cloud, and the cloud has become very economically viable. Two, we have advancements in mobility and the ability to capture data from one corner of the world to another corner of the world. Three, we have data science that has improved dramatically and around high-performance compute that is now accessible to everybody in a very uh, low-cost way. And lastly, we have human intelligence and the science of analytics that has improved. So when you combine all these three or four factors with improvements in hardware, we've really actually transformed and disrupted the way wind and solar energy or any energy is generated around the world. And that's what led us to create our AI-based IoT platform called Orion, where now we have the ability to collect data from wind and solar farms and turbines and any form of energy generating capacity technology, where we collect hundreds of tags of data onto the cloud. We have a huge team of data scientists that have written algorithms over many years. And as a result of that, we have the ability to predict failures in machines in any turbines in any corner of the world, where we are able to predict failures before turbines shut down. We are able to actually improve output by optimizing pitch angles and yaw angles, and therefore actually improve production and renewable energy around the world. A couple of key things that, that we're trying to do. One is create what I'd call the digital power plant. As I said, you know, the cost of energy has come down so significantly and therefore the cost of operation and maintenance has come down so significantly that one has to really start thinking out of the box to transform operations and maintenance. And therefore, at the low cost of energy generation today, we have to move towards a digital power plant where tomorrow 
You don't even need any engineers on the site from a remote location or from our control center. We can track the performance of every little corner of your power plant and therefore uh, remotely help improve productivity of your power plant. So that's number one. Number two is the world is moving more towards a distributed energy world. So all of us have, or a lot of people now around the world, have a small little solar plant on their roof, or they have a little storage system in their house. And there will be a day where everybody even has a small little charger in their house for their cars. So therefore, and going forward, you're going to have a home energy management system. You're going to have an energy management system to make your home more energy efficient. And the only common denominator that brings all of this together is going to be IT, AI, and IoT, and the whole technology space and digitization space that brings it all together. So down the road, you're going to have to have a system where your solar plant is talking to your EV chargers, talking to your storage system, which in turn talks to your home energy management system to optimize the production and the consumption of energy within your own household or within a village or within a small rural area. And that's how the world is going to transform into this whole new distributed energy ecosystem in terms of what's going to happen. And that the entire transmission distribution sector, where there's going to be a huge amount of, you know, the ability to do demand side management and predict and match generation, which is supply, with demand on the consumer side, the day we can actually make that happen and make these systems stop, you're going to actually result in significant improvement in the entire grid. And I think what where we are trying to go is see if we can apply what we've learned with wind turbines and solar farms and renewable energy across a variety of industries across the world. You just talked a bit about transportation. Can you give us also sort of a visual picture of how transportation will change when all these different systems Absolutely. We're going to be going into a world of EV or electric vehicles. Uh, electric vehicles, at the end of the day, there's going to be a huge amount of commonality and overlap between us folks in the utility space or power generation space and the auto world as well. The auto world, at the end of the day, it runs on batteries. And for us in the energy world, we do need batteries for storage. But the technology that will go into the cars and the technology that you're going to have at home for storage is going to be different given the different applications. But at the end of the day, the car needs electricity to charge itself. And therefore, we need to find a way to provide either wind or solar energy to actually make it to the car. And therefore, the link between the car, the solar energy panels in your house, or the renewable energy coming in, or your storage system in your house, is going to be, again, the IT system, because it is this IoT platform that sort of links up all the two, where in your car, you're able to know how much renewable energy is stored in your household, how much solar energy you're producing on your roof, you know, and it's going to link it all up to the fact that can your storage system in your car provide you the electricity required at nighttime in your home and have that charge in the day. So it's going to be this interrelated grid of systems that is all tied back to IT and digitization that's going to make all these systems talk to each other. So the solar panel on my roof in my home is going to then, through the Internet of Things, through the cloud-based communications, power my car as it's driving downtown to go shopping. Well, I hope one day you never know. That might be able to happen remotely. Today, it's going to have to be that your car is parked at your home and you put the charger in. 
But you never know, Catherine. I don't know where the world's going to go. Maybe there is a day one day where we could charge cars while it's on the road. There have been a few R&D projects where they're sort of testing such technologies. The reality of when it's going to be commercialized, I don't have a good sense. But, but I think that is where the world is going. I love visualizing the future and I love speaking to someone like you who is truly a visionary of the future and designing our energy infrastructure. Can you give us a real life example of industrial application for AI driven IoT platforms? The way we decided to get into the industrial world, Catherine, was really from the experience and depth that we developed in working with turbines and solar farms. And if you really think about it, a wind turbine is a rotating machine. And therefore, we've been able to develop a really deep experience in managing and learning and predicting failures in electrical systems and in rotating machines. One of the largest companies in India who owned a couple of wind farms asked us to apply the system and then said that if we had the ability to predict failures in machines in any corner of the world, why don't we try to apply the same algorithms using AI and IoT in helping him predict failures in his machines in the production line and in addition reduce energy costs at the factory. So as a pilot project some years ago, we digitized our production line, digitized its chillers and all the other machines which absorb electricity as well. And as a result of that pilot project we did, we found we were able to save that company in a very short period of time, close to about half a million dollars of energy cost and help them improve productivity by a few percent. And that's when we got ourselves thinking that if we can use our expertise in doing three things, improving productivity in machines or factories, number one. Number two, can we use IoT and AI in helping companies reduce cost? And if you think about it, what is really cost? It's really people, raw materials, and energy. And the third factor is, how do we help companies improve quality and safety? Using these three broad guidelines in the world of Industry 4.0, we took our algorithms and our AI-based platform. Fast forward a few years, we become, we've sort of been able to do projects now in the auto space where we have the ability to digitize an entire production line, collect all the data, and able to do some very interesting statistics and analytics to get very insightful insights for understanding why is one factory of the same OEM more productive in city A versus city B around the world? Why is energy in one production line better or lower than another one in some other city? We get some very interesting dynamics uh, across factories. But we've applied the same technologies in different sectors from steel, cement, auto, oil and gas, taking the same concept of our expertise in IoT devices, our ability to extract data reliably so we ingest the data and cleanse the data onto the cloud the ability to automate algorithms to constantly run the algorithms and analytics and therefore finally provide insights to our customers so that they can focus on these three things of improving productivity reducing cost and improving quality you know in the oil and gas sector you look at different rotating machines and we're trying to figure out ways to be more precise in terms of predicting when any of these rotating machines fail. The use cases are tremendous. It could be in production of waste, it could be improvements of reduced production and 
cycle time. It could be just improvements in productivity. It could be reduced production cost. The use cases of the applications are really diverse, but it all goes back to those three things of improve, improving productivity, reducing costs, and quality. Could you expand just a little bit on the waste? Because this is one area that obviously has huge benefit to a society. If we could figure out a way to convert our waste to wealth and make those links where, uh, you know, something's considered waste can become a resource again and, you know, utilize technology to, to create that circularity in the economic ecosystem, we then would be operating in a much more, let's call it naturally intelligent way in the world. Sure. Could you speak um, to that? I'll share with you an example. Right we were doing some work for a, one, of the, one of the large tire manufacturers and what they found was due to certain inefficiencies in the production process, the waste that was actually happening in the production process was quite significant. By analyzing the production line and the performance of the machines, we were able to improve quality and thereby reduce the waste from the production line. And that's what we do. We go along, we find where the bottlenecks are on the production line. And again, using AI and IoT help them improve improve performance and thereby reduce wastage that actually gets wasted in the production of that product. How do we get to the recycle? Are we working in that direction too? In the Catherine, that's sort of become an essential way? component in any manufacturing or in any industry right now, where the ability to recycle waste or recycle effluents is becoming a critical part of the whole cycle. And I think so. some companies around the world are doing an incredible job whether it's in treating whether it's in treating the waste, whether it's in recycling water, whether it is in the energy space and making sure that the waste energy is captured. I think different companies are doing different things, but I think it's an absolutely essential component of sustainability where all the companies have to start focusing on the circular economy going forward. I can only imagine a world where we are using renewable energy to power our operations, our work, our performance, and then we're recycling all of the resources that we're using to develop new products back into a system, and so generating zero waste. Truly, we would then, at that point, as a global society, be operating in a naturally intelligent way where our ecosystem is, again, producing no waste and utilizing free and clean energy to power the world. This seems like the most utopic future, and yet you are one of these world leaders making this possible. Well, thanks so much for that, Catherine. And like I said, if each one of us do our part in our little way, I think we'll all make a significant difference in the world. Thank you so much for your time with us. And I just have to ask one one last question to, to lead us out into the sunset here. What do you see as the key drivers of really realizing Nikola Tesla's and your vision to ensure that everyone in the world has access to free and clean energy and renewable energy. And what do you need from government, from society to get there? The world has actually done an incredible job over the last four or five years in getting access of energy to a lot of people. In India, for example, over the last four or five years, close to 100% of people have access to energy, even though some people could argue that there are certain definitions and the way you, you define access. But I think broadly, the government has done a phenomenal job 
in ensuring at least that virtually most people in our country has access to energy. The dramatic shift going forward is more going to be towards Africa going forward. But I think in the West, the problem is more or less solved. In Asia, they've done a fantastic job over the last few years. And I think in Africa, also things are improving dramatically. So I am really confident and really optimistic that the speed and pace at which governments, people, and society have come together to solve this problem is very, very encouraging. The second big factor that's causing this incredible improvement in access to energy is just a rapid decline in the cost of solar and renewable energy. That's really driving it. That's helped significantly around the world as the cost has come down. The capacity addition over the last couple of years in solar, renewable energy is now considered to be mainstream. And therefore, given the push of climate change and sustainability, it is the right thing to do. And I think that fundamentally makes a big difference because it's really the right thing for us to do in the world. The second factor is that the cost of renewable energy has come down so significantly that today the industry can stand on its own to feed. It really doesn't need incentives and subsidies from government. And therefore, it is now an economically sustainable model. And you have the scale and you have the returns that's coming in. The concern I have, and I do see where capital is coming from, is whether on a risk-adjusted basis is the capital getting a fair return. As you can imagine, if you were a capital provider, the capital is going to constantly analyze different investment opportunities. Therefore, it always is going to get attracted to where it's going to get the highest return on the risk adjustment. And my slight concern is that given how fast the cost of energy has come down, whether it's coming down to a point where capital might consider this as it's not being able to attract a fair level of return. So that would be my one big concern I have and therefore would urge governments around the world to ensure if there is a way to make capital get a fair return, that will significantly help attracting more capital into the sector and create a more sustainable way to grow the sector going forward. Are there ways that an investor can also imagine that they're getting carbon offsets? I mean, is that really interesting to them? Or you know, not? I don't the know. carbon offset market um, unfortunately do you want to died. Speak to that really quickly? Right. Uh, uh, so it really doesn't exist much anymore. Um, and therefore, there really isn't much of an incentive for capital besides yes. the normal stuff that they get. Now, one case we could make is that to keep on urging governments to provide or create or revive the carbon capture market, that could be a case that one could make. And separately, if you want me to make a point around, you know, the significant improvements yeah. on the point on access to electricity. So let me give you a flavor of the kind of investments that's coming into the space. In 2007, the global new investment into renewable power and fuels globally was roughly about $159 billion in 2007. By 2017, the world total investment in renewable energy was $280 billion. So it's very encouraging to see the fact that in that 10-year span, it was nearly doubled the amount of investment that came into renewable energy. But the point to note is the large increase was in China. Out of the $280 billion in 2017, 
127 billion was China alone. The developed countries were was little over 100 billion, and the other countries were around 50. So it's really been driven over the last couple of years by dramatic increases in investment in renewable energy by China alone. I think on the technology side, we do continue to need significant investments in developing new technologies that will support the growth of renewable energy. And these investments could come into more industry 4.0 solutions like we're doing in Orion, where we develop the AI-based IoT platform and therefore need investments in improving further AI and a lot of the R&D that we're doing. Let me give you a quick example of some of the R&D work that we're doing. Historically, we've been actually analyzing data that comes from SCADA, which involves temperature, pressure, vibration, etc. I think the future of an analytics and IoT is to be able to start analyzing electrical signals where we could potentially get thousands of data tags every millisecond, and that gives us a better ability to predict failures in machines. And therefore, funding, research, whether it is in IoT and AI, we would need more capital to fund more breakthrough technologies like in hydrogen, hydrogen storage, new chemistries and storage. There are new technologies in, in, in managing the grid infrastructure. There is a lot of breakthrough stuff in the next generation solar PV that is actually happening. So I think the world's going to require a lot of capital. And whether that comes from governments or the private sector, well, we're still going to need a fair bit of capital to get to the next generation of technologies to help the growth of renewables or just generally sustainable energies around the world. Thank you for joining us every Wednesday and Friday morning at 9 a.m. GMT. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you.